1: Our guest today, cognitive neuroscientist Dr. Julia Mossbridge writes with her co-author Theresa Chung, precognition tells us that there is far more to this life than meets the eye or that we have allowed ourselves to believe or imagine. It also tells us that the future or the unknown isn't out there, but already alive within us, pre-existing in our bodies, our senses, our feelings, our thoughts our experience, our consciousness. She goes on to say, developing your precognitive ability can change your life for the better. The journey into your future begins from the inside out. She also warns that precognition won't make you infallible or superhuman or fix all your problems or heal all your wounds hurting you or the world. What it can do is to encourage you to look deep within yourself for answers and evolve into a better version of yourself. Today we'll be exploring the scientific understanding and practical tools to help you develop and explore your own potential for precognition with our guest, Dr. Julia Mossbridge. Dr. Julia Mossbridge is a cognitive neuroscientist and futurist. She's the visiting scholar in the psychology department at Northwestern University and a fellow at the Institute of Noetic Sciences as well as associated professor in integral and transpersonal psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. She's the co-author with Teresa Chung of The Premonition Code, The Science of Precognition, How Sensing the Future Can Change Your Life. Join us for the next hour as we explore the fascinating subject of premonition and precognition with our guest, Dr. Julia Mossbridge. I'm Justine Willis-Thoms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Julia, welcome. Thanks, Justine. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. I would love for you to start us off with a little bit of your background, how you first, maybe one of your first instances of precognition or premonition or or some experience that you had that maybe even launched you on this whole research activity. Sure, sure. Well, you know what?
2: My first experience was a precognitive dream, and very many people have had those, and a lot of people doubt that they're um, anything more than coincidences. So I'm going to tell you a story that's a little more compelling to a lot of people, and that's what I call a precognitive compulsion. So a precognitive compulsion is—it's— you. it's as if you have a, a drive to do something, but you don't know why it is. And then later you say, wow, it's really good I had that drive to do something because um, this other thing happened. So you'll understand when I tell this story. So um, let's see. I think I was doing dishes, and I was talking with um, my boyfriend at the time. Now he's my husband. And um, my son came home from school. And he would usually ride his bike to school, and he came home from school and and he came in the door, and all of a sudden i I got a little angry at him for almost no reason i did i just he walked in the door and I said, "Well, did you check to make sure that the garage door was closed after you put the bike in there?" And he looked at me like, "What's your problem? I just got home from school. I'm exhausted, you know and I said, "Um, and he said, "I don't know, no, I don't know. it probably is. I probably did you know why what's the big deal?" and i said you have to check on these things we don't live in the greatest neighborhood you have to go out there and check i bought that bike for however much and i started laying into him and my boyfriend looked at me and just said you know julia if this is a problem for you you should go check yourself joseph is that's my son is pretty competent you know and i thought okay you're right I'm, I'm getting a little bent out of shape so i said fine you know i'm still irritated and i walk to the garage which is separated from the house And I checked the door, and lo and behold, he had, in fact, remembered to lock it. But I was still irritated and sort of completely unself-aware. I just felt like I was running on autopilot. And on my way back into the house, I passed by where the electrical meter is, and and I saw it was on fire. And um, I realized on the other side of the wall where the electrical meter was with a fire that was rapidly gaining steam um, was my boyfriend's oxygen tank. So he was going through um, a pulmonary disease at that point and was on oxygen. So if I hadn't had that compulsion, you know, it's easy to think about these counterfactuals, but the, the the reality is if I hadn't had that compulsion, I don't know that anyone would have seen that. And it's hard to think about what would have happened next. So... Um, I can't prove, it takes, it takes laboratory science to prove that someone has precognitive ability at a rate above chance. But throughout my life, I've had many compulsions and precognitive dreams that have led me to say, okay, the way that I've been told that time works is not the way that events in time actually work. Or at least it seems that I can get information about future events consciously, subconsciously, in very many different ways. And it helps my life. And because I have a scientific sort of mindset, I wanted to study that.
1: So there you go. Oh, wonderful, wonderful way of introducing this whole idea of precognition or premonition. So what is the difference between the two? Yeah, so the book is called "The Premonition Code," and and we wanted
2: that title because most people have heard of premonitions. It's a feeling, it's an experience. Premonition comes from pre, before, uh, Moner to warn, so warning before, and now people use it for positive things as well, like a premonition I'm going to win an award or something fun, right? And the code part is trying to break it down into what does it mean? What are the, what's the science of it? What's the practice of it? So that's really the essence of what we're trying to do: trying to create a, a movement around. Everyday people in the world, many more people knowing that precognition, which is the scientific term for premonition, that precognition is normal, it's scientifically supported, it's common, it's one of the most common experiences that's unexplained, and it's okay, it's not going to hurt you, and there's ways to deal with it in a positive way. And so, in fact, we invent something with the book and with the website that we call Positive Precogs. And I'm really excited about that term because some people do have fear about these things and they think it's evil or the devil's work or something. And I want to say anything can be used for positive or negative ends. But if you decide you're a positive precog or something like it, it means you're actually thinking about how do I responsibly use this skill? How do I develop the skill in a way that works for me in my life? for my family, and for the community.
1: So I want you to say something more about positive precogs. Sure. What is your suggestion if we want to pursue this and we want to do it for good, for, to produce good in the world yeah. for ourselves and others?
2: Yeah, so I think maybe one way to answer the question is to sort of paint a picture of a vision of a world say, five or ten years from now where positive precogs are a thing that people know about and are um, actively involved in training to be or doing. So let's paint that vision. So you could imagine... So, so given that we know, in fact, from, from science, that, from scientific research, that precognit- precognitive abilities exist and that the military, in fact, has been using um, precognitive abilities to get information... Um, and we know from that uh, history how to train people in this ability, especially people who are particularly good, how to train those people. You could imagine a group of positive precogs being included, for instance, um, on a positive precog council at the UN, right? So you could imagine that there could be a group of precogs who are particularly good at dealing with environmental threats. So, upcoming environmental threats that would not normally be predicted using usual means. So without inference, for instance, or out with, without a artificial intelligence, you couldn't predict them, but they happen. So, so these precogs would be good in that area. And another set of precogs could be good at anti-terrorism things. So unpredictable, like the Las Vegas massive shooting. was very. It felt to the FBI to be very unpredictable. So things like that. You could imagine another group of, of positive precogs on the council whose job it is to work with uh, upcoming famine that, you know, we still don't have in our models, but is sort of the anomalous event that occurs that that wasn't predicted. It's it's basically creating a group of people whose job it is to fill out the missing information from our models of what's going to happen in the future. You know, the better we get with artificial intelligence, the more we can predict and the more factors that we can use to predict. But humans who have this ability of precognition and who train to do it and want and want to make the world a better place
1: could potentially be involved in that
2: community. Does that make sense?
1: It it makes sense. But I'm just wondering if you say, when you mention artificial intelligence, so artificial intelligence is something that's, and I may be wrong about this, we put into that, we program it in from our own analytical minds and try all the things. Whereas precognition is tapping into some other field of energy, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. So, 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 so a couple of things.
2: So, so it's tricky. So, um, so artificial intelligence is built by humans so far who create these, uh, like let's, say ta- let's take deep learning network, who create something that's kind of like a neural network. And then the neural network is run on uh, sort of features of something that the, um, that the people who program it are interested in the neural ne- network learning to sort out. Like, here's a bunch of grapes. Figure out which ones are good for making um, rosé.
1: Right.
2: right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's both uh, analytical to set up and non-analytical to let it run. To let it run, it's just kind of doing its thing. Because a- it
1: makes all sorts of connections.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's actually extremely difficult, if not impossible, to follow sort of the black box of what's going on in there when you when you run an artificial intelligence um, neural network like this or a deep as learning As much network. as
1: our own brains?
2: Well, you know, our own brains are are much more complicated than any uh, deep learning network right now. But yeah. I think they're equally um, difficult to... I mean, so once, once something can't be traced logically, it doesn't matter how complex it is. Deep learning networks are already to the place where you can't trace it logically. Right. Um, and, of course, they're less complex than the human brain. So you've got artificial intelligence or AI on one hand. Now... All the information that's going into artificial intelligence or AI um, is usually information that comes from the five senses. So what are, you know, images, sounds, data from people's behavior, right? All these things are five sensory. So then you look at precognition. We don't know how precognition works. What we know is that statistically on average... People unconsciously can get information about future events, and we know that there are certain people who are really good at consciously getting information about future events, and that's all we know.
1: So that's what the that's what the difference is that yeah. I'm thinking of that there there is something we just don't know yet. Right. Uh, we we although you are actually doing uh, one of the scientists who are doing research on this to right. actually say here's the data that we have that. Can be replicated. Right, right. And also, we, and, and there's other researchers as well. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a moment. I want to remind our listeners I'm here with Dr. Julia Mossbridge. She is the co author with Teresa Chung of The Premonition Code, the science of precognition, how sensing the future can change your life. And if you want to know more about her work and the work also of Teresa, you can go to the website, thepremonitioncode.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Julia Mossbridge, and she is the co-author with Teresa Chung of The Premonition Code. And we're talking about the scientific data that you've collected and that you're not the only scientist that is working on this. So if you could just briefly say who else is working on it or how big is that group? Yeah, so there's
2: um, there's people I can name and there's people I can't name. So the people I can name are people like Dean Radin at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, Arno DeLorme at the same location. You've got Mark Whitman over at the thing I can't pronounce in Germany, like the Institute for something and something, IGPP in, <laughs> in Freiburg, Germany. Um, you have folks like Carolyn Watt, who studies precognitive uh, dreaming. She is the chair of the Kessler Parapsychology Unit um, at a university in the UK.
1: So in other words, there are quite a few worldwide, and you're you're talking to one another, right? Oh, yeah. We talk to
2: one another at meetings um, every year or every other year.
1: I know that our listeners would love to hear about, you know, um, are some of us more predisposed to being... Precognitive, or or others, are there personality types that do better with this than others?
2: Yeah, I love that question. Um, so the answer is sort of yes and no, and the reason it's yes and no is because we're very early with every question that comes with precognition. That is not just does it exist scientifically. Um, the answer is always here's what we know so far, but there's so much more to learn because so much effort has been put into trying to prove. That precognition is real. That understanding the mechanism and understanding sort of sort of some of the peculiarities, um, it just hasn't really been fully done. So what I'll tell you about are. Personality traits are things that you can do to be uh, more precognitive. And when I say this, I don't mean um, these are not what I'm saying, um, what I'm saying is not based on studies of people who believe more in precognition if they have these personality traits, although those studies exist. What I'm going to talk about are people who perform better on actual rigorous, controlled scientific experiments that test for precognition. And how those correlate, how the performance correlates with personality type and activities. So a couple right off the bat that have been replicated. um, The personality traits of openness and extroversion seem to correlate positively with skill on precognitive tasks. So openness is a personality trait that's about how open are you to new experiences? How willing are you to consider different points of view? These kind of things. Um, Extroversion is a personality trait associated with do you... Do you want, are you pulled towards interacting with other people in a way that it gives you energy? And those two personality traits, they correlate with precognitive ability, but it's the correlation is not huge. It's significant, but it's not huge. And what that means is you could have neither of those personality traits. You still could be incredibly precognitive. So that's just a hint, right, towards some of the personality traits that seem to be involved.
1: But not to stop someone if they say, oh, I'm really introverted and shy. I'd never be good at this. That's, That's right.
2: That's right. It's There's so much we don't know. It could be that someone who's introverted and shy but has some other characteristic that we don't know yet turns out to be the best type of precog, Right.
1: right? We don't know.
2: Right. So the other things, though, that you could do that actually um, you have a, almost more power to change than personality type, one is meditation and one is belief. So it turns out in two studies, it Seems to be the case that conscious precognition, which is where literally the task is, you know, sitting you down in front of a computer, asking you which of these four images you th- do you think the computer is going to pick to show you, and then you pick one, and then the random number generator independently decides which to show you, and it appears in that kind of precognition, conscious precognition task, um, meditators, long-term meditators seemed to have a significant edge over people who haven't meditated Wasn't
1: there uh, some sort of study done with Tibetan monks? That's the one I'm referring to, and there were two studies. Uh, Serena
2: Roni-Dougal, she's in the UK. She studies precognitive dreaming and precognition in, in meditation, and she showed the correlation between the more meditation, the better the score. Now, the problem is that could be confounded by age because the more meditation with Tibetan monks, the older they are. Uh-huh. right because it's the number of hours of meditation so they've been alive longer so we don't know yet right if it, if it's age but certainly meditation seems to make a difference
1: so is there any do you do you find that you're making any conclusion about that well uh, it's a weak conclusion
2: so uh, the weak conclusion is try meditating if you want to see if it helps you with, with, with your <laughs> so, conscious
1: precognition you know just try it and see, so don't even worry about why. why yeah. is a demented question? Maybe it's, it's not, not the dem- <laughs> it's not demented. It's just that it's like
2: it's almost like, look, if you have three bits of data about something and then you're going to build a whole theory based on those three bits of data, the chances of you being wrong and wasting your time are really high. And the chances of you spending time doing something that actually isn't as beneficial as just playing around in the muck to try to figure out what's going on.
1: Are, are are really high, right? so you're just saying if it's more effective for you, then hey, keep meditating and, Correct. and 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 then you talk about like these controlled experiments now on your website, people can actually log into it and actually do these experiments, right? oh, totally, but i should I should add that I
2: was going to talk about two things you could do, please, oh, sorry, let me just finish that up, please. um, the second thing you can do is you can believe in precognition. Uh-huh. And that's part of we Literally, people who believe more in precognition and believe they have precognitive experiences perform better on precognitive tests. So tasks. you're saying
1: meditation and believing believe. that it's possible.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then that's actually part of why we wrote the book is we wanted people to get it, that this is common, this is scientifically valid, it's normal. It doesn't disrupt all of our ideas about time. It just makes us think a little differently. So, so just those are the things that you can really control that we know about now. Meditation and believing, and then um, and then try it. Practice, practice, and so that's where the website comes in.
1: So you get to actually practice, and you practice. It's not on things that you're going to predict about. Oh, what is my future like, or or what is this? trip going to be like or whatever, you know, something personal, it's very impersonal. So kind of describe what it is, but yeah. it, it it helps you to practice it. Yeah. And then you get feedback. Yes. Like playing your scales to learn piano. Right. Totally. So it is like any
2: other skill. So almost everyone can learn to play. Barry had a little lamb on the piano, you know, almost everyone can do that and some people are concert pianists after a few lessons right some people are these geniuses and most people are in between so my guess is most people listening and certainly including myself are in between those two poles with precognition and so what the what the website is about is about giving people on the what we call the positive precog training page we give people the chance to over and over again for free as many times as you want to test your ability on something that's not earth shattering. It's not, should I marry this person or not? You know, should I take this job or not? It's what, is the, what are the contents of the picture that's about to be shown to me? And all of the pictures, none of them are violent and none of them are sexual. So it's benign. Um, it's a benign question, but it's also a hard question, right? If, if all of all the pictures that might exist in the world, and we have more than 500 in the database, which is the one that is about to be shown to me? Even if you know all 500 pictures, you still have a one in 500 chance, <laughs> right, of of being able to correctly describe the picture that you're going to be shown. Um, so the way it works is uh, on the website uh, we take everyone through this what we call the six steps of controlled precognition, and those include things like making this handshake between your conscious mind and your higher self, or or your superconscious. Do you want to?
1: Yeah, just say something a little more about that. The first step is a handshake.
2: Yeah. One of the most important steps is the first step which is creating this handshake an agreement a collaboration between what what we call the higher self or your superconscious mind which is this part that can apparently go out into the world get information that we didn't know was coming in consciously and can process it at a, at a, in a very parallel high speed way. And the other part of the handshake is from your conscious mind your sort of your what we think of as ourselves or our egos. And that part of us has the ability to process much more slowly, but it likes to make decisions. it likes to keep us on task so those two need to do their jobs. neither one is wrong, but we need to create an agreement between them and
1: and the one that second one is is more analytical it it uses our senses, our touch, taste, smell, that sort of thing. and whereas the other one comes from another place this the yeah, I mean the yeah.
2: superconscious can also integrate information from touch, taste, smell, etc. and it seems to be getting information from the future, or at least that's my interpretation of what's going on.
1: So it's and I know that some physicists would say that there is no linear time, time can go forward and backward and every which way. Then we're going to get into time in a little <laughs> bit, so I don't want to get into that, but right now, but All right, so the first thing you log into the website, the first thing is to have that handshake, to have this collaboration between these two parts of ourselves. That's right.
2: And And that's
1: part of the original process of what I call mental preparation, physical preparation. And
2: emotional preparation. So that's all detailed in the book, and also shorthand for it is on the website. Yes. And then you go through several steps getting yourself ready, and I, they're kind of boring to describe. They're a little technical, right. drawing a squiggly line, yeah. writing down an eight-digit number that represents the target, you right. know, on a piece of paper.
1: And then comes with the But big, you hold our hand at going through oh, that yeah, sure. so we know, okay, now I write down a eight-digit number, and I make <laughs> it up, and okay, yeah, and I yeah. have a piece of paper and a pen, and yeah, so on. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And
2: then comes the 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 really important part which is the learn and discern part. And the learn and discern step is about getting yourself this is where you're really actively using that collaboration between your superconscious and your conscious mind. Now, just so you know, a little aside, when I talk about that, no there's no way to test whether this is actually your superconscious and your conscious mind. <laughs> this is a metaphor for what's going on, okay? okay. But metaphors work. So this is where you're using that collaboration. You're, what you do is you write down your eight-digit number, you draw a little picture that that comes to your mind that you're basically channeling from your superconscious, and you start to sense into the picture what, what words and images are in there. And you're basically describing an element of the photo that you're going to see. And then when you're done with that, you make a new page and you do that again. And it's actually kind of a technical process. And um, it also feels really good. It feels like... When I'm really doing well on, in my own controlled precognition practice, um, I can hear my conscious mind start to rebel. And I know <laughs> I'm doing well. I know I've almost got the target when it says, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know where this is coming from. Well, of course, it doesn't know where any of it's coming from, right? So I don't yeah. know where it's coming from. And I think, oh, good. I'm on the right track. Okay. And so right. then when you feel like you're done, you basically decide you're done. You get out of there. Um, And you go on to this phase that's more analytical. And that's when in the website we show you two graphs. And each graph is... Now what has happened is a random number generator has picked two pictures out of the 500 or more pictures. So now your chances of getting it correct are are now to 50-50. Yes. And these two graphs are representing all the elements in the pictures. So let's say one graph says there's animals or people... And there's also water. And the other graph says there's human-made structures, but nothing else. So you have to choose. These graphs are mutually exclusive. We don't have human-made structures versus human-made structures. It's always... Okay, something that's different. Something that's different between them. So that you can then go into your session, back into your papers, and you look, do I
1: have lots of animals and humans? Do I have structures? Okay, now we're sitting on the edge of our seats, and I have to (laughs) remind our listeners I'm here with Dr. Julia Mossbridge, and she is a co-author with Teresa Chung of The Premonition Code, The Science of Precognition, How Sensing the Future Can Change Your Life. And the website she's talking about right now is thepremonitioncode.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Julia Mossbridge. She's a cognitive neuroscientist, and she is the co-author with Risa Chung of The Premonition Code. And we're talking about this, this place on your website where you can actually practice this. So we're at the very point where, where here you're, you've, you've got this two choices of two, two graphs, And now you're going back over your notes to kind of look at what? Yeah, you're going back over what we call the session,
2: which is your controlled precognition session. These are bunches of paper where you've been writing your impressions that have been channeled from your superconscious to your conscious mind, in the metaphor that I use anyway. And there's words and pictures. And there's little ideograms, which are these little symbols that you write down to indicate each of these different eight elements that are in these graphs. Yeah, you could use the ones yeah. in the book. You can make up your own. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's just as long as they work for you. Yeah. And so you're, you. let's say we have one graph here on the left-hand side that is all about – it says it has animals and humans. It has water. And the other graph says it's all human-made structures. So you have to go through and you have to analytically say – how much of this session represents something that seems like an animal or human or feels like it, intuitively animal or human, and how much feels like, uh, if any, feel like a structure, right? And so you maybe you choose the animal-human, and maybe you just also felt a little bit of water, you know? So remember, when you were doing the session, you didn't know what the choices were, right? You might have come up with all um, all sky and space you know, information, and there's no sky and space in either of these graphs. So then you would say, I don't know what to do, and you would probably just say. So
1: all you had was a number. All you have is an eight-digit number. Eight-digit number, that's all you had. Well, that
2: and the working relationship between your superconscious and your conscious mind. (laughs) Oh,
1: right. That's a big one. (laughs) Right.
2: But in terms of of what a videographer could see, you took an eight-digit number, you wrote it down, and then you started doing squiggles and shapes And words.
1: And you have maybe five, six, seven, eight pages of these squiggles.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So now you go over and you decide, okay, fine, I'm going to choose one of these. And let's say you choose the animal human one. And then the website puts a pop-up window and says, you know, are you sure? And then you say, yes, I'm sure. And then it's going to choose randomly one of the two photos that have been represented by the graphs to show you as the correct image. And so it shows you a photo and it says you're either correct or not and then the most important step of this whole process is learning from that. So if you're incorrect, it's extremely valuable to look back over your session and it turns out to be a picture of a, a machine, right? So that's all human-made structures. So you didn't you didn't win, you didn't you weren't correct with your animal, human and water thing. So you have to look at that and say, okay, now how did I get this wrong? Was I just completely off base or were there elements that I misinterpreted? And it's the being wrong
1: which is so important for the learning process. So there you you so you you don't get depressed because you're wrong. You use it and you just keep keep learning. It's like making a mistake on your scales that you were playing, you just go back and you kind of do it again. Yeah, and you not only learn about how to do
2: it right, but you also learn about yourself. And yes. this is the piece that I love about yeah. this practice. Is it becomes almost a mystical or a self-help practice where you start to go, like there's a thing that I just love that I just recently discovered, which is that just before something important comes out, I write the word yellow. And I always thought that I knew that that was true. But just recently, I was talking with someone and I realized, oh, it's like a highlighter. It's a joke. Ah. it's a it's a joke from my superconscious. like Saying, "Look, here's a highlighter pen." You're, you're super conscious. You used the metaphor. That yeah, gave you a metaphor. It's a yellow highlighter. Yellow highlight.
1: highlighter. I love it. <laughs> Joseph Campbell would love it. Yeah. Yeah. Great.
2: And so you learn these funny things about yourself that are just—they're delightful—and you get connected to yourself over time. It's like you—you you get a feeling that your future self is trying to give you some information in
1: some kind of way that you have to interpret, and it's a fun game. It just sounds wonderful, and so now, how does this translate then? After, how often do, would you suggest you go? Uh, one would go onto the website and practice this or, or use this tool. So, so a couple things about that. First of all, we have a practice
2: version and a test version, and the difference is the practice version is you, it doesn't go into your official score. Okay. Some people are competing for the Hall of Fame on the website; they need to do once they're ready with practice, and they have the have the drill down. They need to do test trials and that it makes them eligible for the Hall of Fame
1: after a while. But um And is that recorded then in some sort of database?
2: Yeah. yeah. So that
1: that you're keeping track of that part. And that that helps with your research. Uh, yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah,
2: yeah for me, that's yeah. the big payoff. Besides helping people understand how awesome. But this those is. of
1: us that would just do it as as not the test one, but just practice, yeah. that's not recorded, and we just are doing it for ourselves. Well, we're
2: certainly going to record it, but we're not. You're not eligible for the Hall of Fame, and we won't. Right. We won't yeah. write papers okay. about it. We'll All just right. look at it because it's interesting, yeah. right? Okay, All right. so. So the other thing that, that it's important to say about this is that everyone has a different rate at which they should be doing this. And so it's it's actually, we put a warning in the book, we put a warning on the website, because if you're mentally unstable at all, or if you have any kind of family history of mental illness, you have to be careful that you don't get kind of delusional, because it will be the case that at some point you will sketch out something that very much looks like the picture you see. And as you go on, that will happen more and more, and it really changes your perspective. And if you start to think, oh, I'm omniscient, I can predict the future all the time, or oh, I'm God, um, this can really mess you up, not only in your controlled precognition practice, but who cares, it can mess you up in your life, right? Yeah. So you have to be c- careful and notice, you know, am I going on obsessively? Has it become like a gambling addiction? It can to people. I can see that.
1: Yeah. I can see that. So there, there is that warning, and you would suggest that then you would stop doing that yeah. and you would go find a therapist you really trust and, yeah. and work with whatever that, that issue is or whatever issues you might have. That's right. And come, come back then when you're come ready. Back later. If it's safe. Or, yeah. or don't come back. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, that's that's all really exciting and fun. Now, how does that, how could that, after we've been doing that for a while, let's say we, Check in once a week, and then maybe twice a week if that feels comfortable, and we just kind of go with what feels comfortable. Yeah, then maybe once a day or a couple okay. times a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, so whatever's comfortable. Whatever is comfortable and not obsessive. Yeah, and not getting like tracked out like oh I won or didn't win and get depressed about not winning or whatever. Yeah. No, you're learning, learning, learning. Right. So what about translating any of that into our lives? Yes. Okay, so here's the cool thing.
2: Both people who are extremely good at precognition spontaneously already in their lives, and in fact, that group of people often contacts me and says, what can I do to get this under control because it's actually uncomfortable, Uh right? Both that group of people and people who don't have those experiences at all, both of them, I propose, although I haven't tested this, I propose can have a better experience by controlling their precognition practice, sitting down at a certain time of day, doing this. I think that that gives the mind an ability to sort of center this information that's coming in. So
1: you're saying, this is my time out for this. And other than that, I'm not going to th- just don't, don't bother me with this stuff, this super consciousness <laughs> or whatever. Just I'm I'm not, we're not shaking hands here. Well, we're, as a first step, as a first yeah. step to getting
2: this under control and making yourself feel comfortable with it and not creepy about it, right. if you feel creepy. Yeah, so if you start to feel comfortable on the website and you feel like you have a good score and you feel like um, your ability, the feedback is showing you that your ability is decent, there's a couple things you might want to do. So one is one is you could become a consultant that uses this ability for corporations or organizations that are trying to mitigate future possibilities. So many people are already doing that. Um, the other is that for yourself, you can for your own life, you can use this ability, Uh, Kind of like this, you could write a bunch of questions on pieces of paper about your life, you can put them in a hat, and then you draw, uh, draw a question only after you've done one of these things. So, it's like I do my whole session. I don't know what question I'm answering. And then I draw a question out of the hat and I see what question I was answering. Right. Now, the reason that sounds so backwards and strange and too complicated, and why don't you just sit down and write out the answer, is because we are so immersed in our own lives. It's extremely hard to let that information come through if you already know what the question is. So, it's like a trick to get your conscious mind
1: to kind of to, let go. To let go, get out of the way. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just. Looking up like a, a brief exercise, your best future choice, oh, which is yeah. right in the book. And and this is where you give a whole way of doing this practice that you're you're actually asking maybe several questions and then how to how to work with that with a friend yeah, and uh, that was really very helpful. So good. that's right in the book. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I love that, that exercise. yeah, that that's a that's a good one. Uh, a brief exercise, your best future choice. It's great. It was just great to read that one. Cool. And you can um actually improve your abilities and test them and all sorts of things. But I'm thinking in when you talk about your analytical mind and your cognitive mind, and then your precognitive mind, you talk about doing a handshake oh, right yeah. at the very beginning oh, yeah. when you kind of get these two parts of yourself to cooperate or collaborate. Yes. I
2: think it's really important, and I think it has a lot to do with creativity as well. I think I think when people train themselves to do precognition, whether they use this website or another means, or whether they use the book or another means, they're also tapping into where we, we think creativity comes from. And I think both of them, uh, precognition and creativity, rely on this really important relationship between what um, has been called the superconscious, and in the new age world I think is often called the higher self, which is this part of our non-conscious mind that can wisely guide us towards appropriate paths for us, right? And so this superconscious and this conscious sort of egoic mind that thinks it knows what's going on all the time, but is clearly and demonstrably incorrect plenty of those times, those two have to have a a nice relationship. The reason is that they have different skills. So neither one is is, um, bad or wrong, but the superconscious has the skill of processing in a parallel processing way, a lot of information, and then coming up with some information that you wouldn't normally in your conscious mind necessarily know. And your conscious mind has the skill of staying on task and saying, it's a good editor. No, no, that doesn't make sense. No, right? And so those two pieces or need it to fills j- in the blank. Fills in the blank, yeah. right? Right. I, I see something red. It's round. Oh, it's an apple. Instead of yeah. it's red, it's round. It's, it's maybe a red mm-hmm. balloon. It could be a sphere of you know jello that's red, and we don't know, right? So, so leaving things open is sort of the. The job of the superconscious, getting all sorts of associations, and the job of the conscious mind is is closing and saying, you know, this. This is what's happening. It likes to tell stories. It likes to come to a conclusion. But both of those things are necessary for both creativity and precognition. And the handshake is just something I invented because people need to get it that these two things are important. You don't dismiss one or the other. They work together. And the handshake is to say, superconscious, I will do my job. I will do the things that I am good at, and I'm going to leave the other things to you in the conscious mind, and I'm going to do my job. And I will do the things I'm good at, and I'll leave the other things to you, and now let's shake on it. That shake, that handshake
1: is really important. So I want to ask you about, like, how, is, how accepted is this in scientific fields in with other scientists?
2: Well, it depends. So the, so the overall yeah. answer is um, a lot of scientists are, I think it's pretty sketchy. Yeah. So that's that's sort of the overall answer. But I want to give credit to many scientists who are open-minded enough. And it's often the scientists who are at the higher levels of academia who are already full professors or maybe at the tier one institutions um, who have contacted me, either they're researching this kind of thing and they don't want anyone to know, so I'm not allowed to say their names. Or they are very interested in this work, and they just are following up on it. At the highest level, scientists know that no one understands the way things work, really.
1: I'm here with Julia Mossbridge, and she is a co-author with Teresa Chung of The Premonition Code, The Science of Precognition, How Sensing the Future Can Change Your Life. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Julia Mossbridge, the co-author of the Premonition Code. And Julia, I would love to talk about time. I know that <laughs> Me oh goody, goody, uh, because it's such a fascinating subject, and I know that you've been studying that. And tell us about what are you finding out about time and what should we know about time? Well, I, I've studied Time in the nervous, or
2: I shouldn't say time. Let's say how events are processed in the nervous system over time. Let's call it that. And how events are processed in perception over time. So I've been studying that for about a decade. And um, what I have learned from my own experiments and those of others is that when people talk about time... They're talking about different things. Ah. There's there's probably like 20 different ideas about what time is when people think that they're agreeing. And so there's the order of things. So A comes before B. So that's something that people say that's what they mean by time. And other people say it's the duration of something. How long have we been talking here together? Some people say it is a physical uh, property of the universe. So time is somehow out there and exists um, independent of people who perceive events in time. And some people say that's hogwash, and um, it's only humans or whole, only peop, only conscious beings, let's say, who experience time or any
1: events in time. Uh, so those are sort of— So like maybe animals don't experience time. Well, some people— Say they do. Yeah, something. right. I
2: mean, so like how are we going to know? So what it comes yeah. down to is because I'm an empiricist, I'm not a philosopher, I'm not a theoretical scientist in any way. I'm an empiricist. I want to do an experiment that says, well, how are we going to figure this out? And so you can do some experiments about time perception. And those are the kind of things I've been involved with and have done, worked with other people on. And you can do experiments in the physics of time. And I've just started doing those kind of experiments. And that's about it. So there's experiments in the perception of time and experiments in the physics of time. And everything else is kind of guesswork. So I kind of I, I shouldn't say kind of. I do I live in the world of empiricism where those are my choices if I want to learn more. And so what I've learned from those choices is that um the brain has many many clocks and they're not all synchronized. Ah. So we are okay. we're having a we're working our conscious The processes that are in our mind that produce conscious experience or that are related to conscious experience, if you you, you want to be agnostic about the direction of that kind of causality between the brain and the mind, which I do, those processes are working all the time to try to present a story to us that is the best possible story of all the inputs it's getting. So that combines something sensible about what's going on in the auditory system with something sensible about what's going on in the visual system and also in the somatosensory system, what we're feeling, and it's creating a story that integrates those. But it's doing a lot of work to do that it's not like there's one clock and then when information comes in it gets stamped you know this is the time it came in we're better present it to consciousness at this no it is a reconstruction of reality and you can see that through experiments uh, like those that i've done and that other people have done showing that there's these illusions where for instance there was one uh, an article that just came out from caltech about one of these illusions called the rabbit illusion where you can show for instance um Two flashes of light, but if you offer three sounds that uh, beep, 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 and the first and the last are correlated at the same time are given at the same time as the flash, you'll think you saw it. You'll create three flashes. You'll swear that you saw three flashes because at the end and at the beginning, the brain has decided, okay, what's going on here is there's a flash that comes with a beep. So when that one time in the middle where I didn't see a flash, that was probably a mistake. So I'm going to make a flash, and you retroactively. So you make it up. You make it up. So it presents to the conscious mind. Here's the most comprehensible story that I can think of. It's wrong,
1: but it's the most comprehensible story. So we're doing that all the time. All the time. Yeah. And this is what makes it so difficult to really communicate with one another because we're we're making things up from our own experience yeah. it's just crazy making it is but i know that you could say something about time travel sure so let's talk about time travel i mean that like gets real sci-fi but but I, I yeah
2: i used to get so mad when i was a kid and a budding scientist because i thought now the most sensible thing that every scientist should be working on in the world is a time machine because you know, who cares about cancer? Who cares about anything else? Because if you build a time machine, you can go back and solve all that. <laughs> anything that you neglected, you can go back and fix. So do the time machine first and then fix all the world's and problems. And we have all
1: sorts of uh, TV series and movies all about this. It's so fascinating, and, and they're very popular. Yeah,
2: and, and I've watched them all. And, yeah, me too. And I can I can say that what I think is most likely is that we will recognize that um, informational time travel or mental time travel is uh, the first kind of time travel that we will invent. And that you could count, for instance, precognition as mental time travel or informational time travel. Because because
1: you're going in the future, future, you're precog of a future event. Or maybe you're also going back to, can you change the past? Right. This is a great question. So once you start
2: thinking that way, you start to think, now wait a minute, is this a receptive sort of sensory process where I'm getting information from the future? Or is my future self actively, like a motor process, sending information back in time? And the answer is question mark. And is there any difference between those two? If you start thinking time symmetrically where... Uh, particular, if you think of dropping a water in a very um, still pond, you'll see ripples go out in all directions. Now, our conscious mind wants it to be that there, we're only going to look in one direction at those ripples. But it, based on the information that we know, at least scientifically, about precognition, it appears that our unconscious minds are looking in both directions. So it's possible that the physical world, and I would say this is my hypothesis that I cannot prove or even test, But nonetheless, I work on the hypothesis that the physical world might be time-symmetric. And there's evidence from physics that that might be the case. But that the mental world, in terms of conscious awareness, is time-asymmetric, which means information seems to be going, events seem to be moving in only one
1: direction. Well, that takes me to a quote in your book that you use, and you have several really great quotes. And this is from the Oxford Handbook of Philosophy of Time by Ludwig Boltzmann and he says for the universe the two directions of time are indistinguishable just as in space there is no up and down right, right. so that so so on some level and maybe quantum level there is no future or past it's indistinguishable
2: yeah yeah and when you say the quantum level i mean it's interesting if you Read about the transactional interpretation of quantum mechanics, especially Ruth Kastner's work at the University of Maryland. Um, she talks about how what we call the past and future, what we sort of incorrectly call the past and future, are conspiring to create the present moment to determine what the present moment, um, what the present moment will be or is. And that physical idea uh, is based on quantum mechanics, an interpretation of quantum mechanics that actually solves a lot of problems that quantum mechanics, of the standard interpretation, produces. So this is a, it's, a, it's a novel interpretation that I think is really powerful. And it poses this kind of, I guess she calls it, Ruth Kastner calls it, quantum land. This, this, this place where space and time is outside of space and time. Where transactions are happening between
1: what we call the past and the future, but are really outside of space and time. So normally, yeah. uh, or or in our everyday reality, we think of time just as a past. Yeah, you know, all right, this happened and this happened. It's kind of it's kind of historical, yeah, so to speak. But you're saying that this scientist is also pulling in this other information that we normally would think, has yet to happen, yeah. but it actually is present as well. It's outside of space-time. It's just not present in space-time. It's just not present in space-time. Right. So not everything is in space-time. Well, you can decide what you want to call reality. You can
2: say it's only stuff in space-time. And some physicists say, all I care about is stuff in in space-time, and that's fine. Um, And you could say it's everything, which includes things outside of
1: space-time. So it depends on how you want to define reality. So there could be multiple realities you know, I mean, it just opens up everything. <laughs> it, does. It, just, it, does. it And writers have been writing this for a long time. And, and just, mystics have been saying uh, it for a long exactly. time, and science is slowly catching on per usual. Exactly. All of this is so exciting. And so how, where do you see your work going at the moment? What are you most excited about right now? What I'm most excited about is training uh, positive precogs, creating a movement of positive
2: precogs in the world and combining that with artificial intelligence to create a situation where our world is drawing on all of our abilities and is not afraid to use our extended minds to function and to live better lives.
1: Oh, that's really exciting and then this is where people can really tap into the website and and on the website there is a community forum where people can really Connect with one another. And I also want to say on the website that it's a place, as we've kind of demonstrated in a little bit, that you can test and develop your own precognitive abilities with these controlled precognition practices. It also has links to relevant research. It has lists of events with you, Dr. Julia Mossbridge, and with Teresa Chung and other scientists and experts speaking on precognition and also webinars. It's just full of all sorts of wonderful things, and you can really practice this on the website. You've really set it up so well for people to practice their their precog abilities and to get better at it. Thanks. So I want to thank you for being on New Dimensions today, Julia. I loved it. Thank you. Uh, Me too. I've been speaking with Dr. Julia Mossbridge. She is the co-author with Teresa Chung of The Premonition Code, The Science of Precognition, How Sensing the Future Can Change Your Life. And if you want to know more, you can go to the website, thepremonitioncode.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine willis Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3658.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a 1,000 hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine willis toms Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California.